It's a big book full of big stories with big characters that have big ideas, not least about themselves, and make big mistakes. It's about God and greed and grace, about life and lust and laughter and loneliness. It's about birth, beginnings, and betrayal, about siblings and squabbles and sex, about power and prayer and prison and passion, and that's only the book of Genesis. And she Wright talks about this idea, the story that we have, the Bible, is a story. And as we are kind of reading uh, through the, the, this, this story, this is our narrative, this is where we kind of, under, kind of understand the story that we're a part of, uh, it comes from this story, this is God's story. The story takes place over thousands of years, we know that there's a number of different writers who are inspired and they're, they're writing the story as, uh, as history unfolds and as God's working through history. And it's an outstanding story. And if we we read it and we dig into it, uh, what we find is that there's this God that's alive and active in our world. And he's working towards something. What we find is that there's this narrative, there's this theology that that, that carries through the scripture from the creation story all the way out to the end. And then in this story, there's one week that really kind of jumps out at us. There's one week that we call in our Christian calendar the Holy Week. That leads up to Easter. And in this week, everything kind of pivots in this story, this fascinating story. Everything's kind of centered on what happens in this week, this holy week. And as we move towards Easter as a new church, what we want to do is look at this week, look at what happened in the life of Jesus, what he did, how he acted, and what he said. So we started this series called Famous Last Words. And what we're doing is basically reflecting on the last words of Christ right before he's crucified on the cross before the resurrection, what does Jesus say to us, and what does it mean? So last week, we we talked about the first word of Jesus from the cross is him speaking to God, him speaking to the Father, saying, Father, forgive these people, for they know not what they do. We talked about what forgiveness meant for us, that Jesus offers forgiveness to the people who are crucifying, the people who are betraying him. He says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We talked about being a follower of Jesus is understanding what this forgiveness means means and allowing it to kind of permeate into our own soul. And if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to forgive because that's in the character of who he is. This is uh, word, the second word that we're going to look at this week. And it takes place in Luke chapter 23. And in Luke 23, picking up kind of where we left off last week, we know that Jesus is hanging on the cross in this story. And we know that he's been beaten. We know that he's been tortured. We know that he's been betrayed by those uh, who he was close to. And he's up on the cross and he's in agony. And what we find is that he's placed between two other criminals as he dies. Let's start in verse 35, chapter 23. It says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. Sneered. I hate when that happens. People (laughs) sneer at you. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. So one of the criminals that is next to him makes this accusation. says, Aren't you the Christ? If you are who you say are, save yourself. But then the other criminal on the other side of him rebuked him. 
And he said this. He said, don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So one criminal accuses Jesus, mocks him, jeers at him. The other criminal says, hold on, what are you doing? You realize who this guy is. We're getting punished for what we deserve, but this guy does not. Makes this acknowledgement that he's the one that deserves death, not Jesus. And then Jesus said this. Then he said, Jesus, the criminal looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And then Jesus answered him. And this is the second word from the cross. He says, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. One criminal mocks him and jeers him. The other criminal rebukes the, the one guy for mocking Jesus. And he makes this confession that I'm the one that deserves death, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he asks Jesus, please remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And then Jesus has this response. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Powerful words. Powerful words. If you like to highlight your Bible on your phone or if you circle your Bible, you can circle the word today. Jesus is saying, whatever's going to happen, there's this present reality that we're going to be a part of today. And he says, you will be with me. This idea of with Jesus in the presence of Christ. Wherever they're going, they're going to be together. And then he says, in paradise. 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 We live in Paradise Valley. When we think of what paradise is, paradise for me is 75 degrees in January when we're at the Phoenix Open and the rest of the country is covered in snow. That is paradise. Uh, but paradise, this word that Jesus uses, you're going to be with me in paradise, is what I want to unpack today. Second word, Jesus, from Jesus to the criminal, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is interesting. We look at kind of what I want to do basically is define what paradise is, what Jesus is talking about when he says paradise, and then talk about kind of what paradise is in the story of Scripture and how paradise is lost and then how paradise is hoped for and then finally how paradise is restored. Paradise, the word that Jesus uses, is interesting because it's actually a Persian word. It's not Hebrew, it's not Greek. He uses a Persian word to describe where they're going. And we have thoughts that uh, Jesus' people, when they were in captivity, when they were uh, exiles in the Persian kingdom with Babylon and Syria, and you have all this stuff happening, they picked up on this other idea of what this heaven was going to look like. And Jesus uses this Persian word, paradise, and it literally means an enclosed park or a garden. It also draws memory to Eden, the Garden of Eden. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in a place like Eden. Eden appears to us in the creation story. We know going back to, to, to Genesis chapter 1, when, when God creates the earth, what we find in this story of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God creates the earth and he says that it is good. And in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, God creates and he says, let us make man in our image and there's this interesting word that God uses, and he says, let us make man in our image. And so what we find is that as God's creating the earth, he's creating out of community, out of relationship. This, this us factor takes place in the creation story. God says, let us create. And what we find is that God creates from relationship, what we now have this doctrine of the Trinity, this understanding that God is community. There's three in one. And out of that community, he creates people. For relationship. He creates people for community. In the image of God, all of us are created 
We're created for relationships. What we find is that in this creation story, in this paradise, in this Eden, God not only creates us out of his image, but he creates us for relationship. And he establishes four different relationships in the Garden of Eden. And these relationships are kind of like the rhythms of how humanity interacts with the world. And he he gives them this responsibility to go out and to basically work the garden. And what we find is that God creates a relationship with Adam. So there's this relationship between man and God. There's this spiritual relationship, and it has peace in the garden. There's shalom in this paradise. Everything is good and happy. We find that God comes at the the cool of the day, and he walks with these humans, spends time with them in relationship with them. We find another relationship that's established is human and nature, the creation. Adam's given this task, right? He's going to name the animals. He's going to manage the garden. There's a relationship between him and the earth around him that's established in this creation story. And we also find that Adam is uh, alone, and God says it's not good to be alone, so he creates Eve, pulls Eve out of Adam's rib, and creates this other human for Adam to be with. And we find that they have this marriage, they're man and wife, and there's this relationship that's started now between human and human, and that relationship is good. So there's this spiritual relationship God creates, there's this physical relationship with us and the world around us, and there's this social relationship, how we interact with other people, and in the garden it's good. And then we find in the story that it it says this interesting thing that they're, they're both naked and they feel no shame. They have no shame. There's this emotional relationship that they have. They're completely fine with who they are, with who God created them to be in this creation story in the Garden of Eden, in paradise. There's complete shalom, complete peace with who I am, who God created me to be. So there's these four relationships that he kind of puts into place in the Garden of Eden, in paradise. There's the spiritual, physical, social, and emotional relationships. These are key relationships that we find that all of us have in the world still. And we know there's this story in Genesis chapter 3, if you're familiar with scripture, uh, the serpent comes, Satan. And Satan comes and he convinces these humans to eat of fruit that God said not to eat. And we kind of know the story, fools Eve into eating it, and then Eve gives it to Adam, and then, you know, Adam blames Eve for everything. Um, And there's this breaking of the creation, this Garden of Eden that has shalom with all these relationships, all of a sudden there's a wrench that's kind of thrown into the, to the system here. I like to think that, you know, however Satan decided to fool Eve, side note, my thought is that he all got Eve to eat a tomato, convinced her that it was a vegetable. She ate it, not thinking that she was allowed to eat fruit, but she had a vegetable. That was a side note, not funny. I always thought that VeggieTales missed out on that storyline. But we know that there's, uh, there's this fruit that's eaten by Eve. And then what happens is all of a sudden her eyes are opened to the world around her. She realizes that she's naked. Adam realizes that he's naked. And they feel shame. The relationship with who God created them to be is no longer good. There's something that's broken. They're not okay with who God created them to be. The emotional relationship all of a sudden has strife. It's destroyed. Then we find God coming and pursuing them. And he says, what's going on in this story? And we know that Adam is hiding. He covers himself, and he's hiding from God. And God says, where are you? And he says, you know, I'm hiding. And God says, what happened? And he says, I ate the fruit. 
Eve made me eat it, and he casts blame. And the relationship between man and woman, the relationship between human and human is now broken. That relationship is broken in the garden. So there's this strife, there's this tension between Adam and Eve, where that relationship is no longer whole. We also find that they're hiding from God because they realize that what they look like as they're naked and they're ashamed of it. So they hide from God. There's a relationship between human and God that is broken in the Garden of Eden. Where for them it's, you know, it's how is, you know, what is God going to think of us? Is he going to be mad at us? Can't let him see me like this. There's a spiritual relationship that's broken down. And then what we find is that as they kind of start to suffer the consequences of what happens in this story that God ends up cursing the ground and kicking, kicking them out of Eden. God curses the ground. This relationship with them and the creation is broken. The relationship with them and the physical world is broken. And now they have to, to suffer and strive in turmoil as they work. This is why Mondays stink. These relationships that are in place in the garden where there's paradise are all broken. The spiritual relationship between human and God, the physical relationship between us and the world that we work, the emotional relationship with us and ourselves and our relationships with other people, all of these things are broken down in this creation story. Paradise is lost. Eden is lost. And so what we find is after Genesis 3, these people who are still trying to figure out what relationship with God looks like, have to live the rest of their lives east of Eden. They're removed from paradise. They're removed from the Garden of Eden. And they start this journey trying to figure out what do we do now that the world has been broken? What do we do now that all these relationships have been broken? We find kind of throughout the narrative that God interacts with them and God is on this mission to basically restore and redeem all of these things that have been broken. And so there's this, there's this hope from God's people that someday this paradise, this Eden, someday all of this is going to be restored and all of the brokenness that are consequences of their decisions are going to be atoned for. So there's this hope from God's people for this restoration of Eden. And we find this narrative throughout the Old Testament and there's this anticipation of hoping uh, that someday this paradise is going to be put back together. Then we find in the New Testament, as Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, the time for that restoration of paradise happens. And as we know the story, uh, the gospel is simply this, that Jesus came and he interacts with the world. And he hasn't given up on the broken world, but he enters into the world and seeks to restore and redeem. And we find that he takes all of the brokenness and all the consequences of the bad decisions that we've made and he absorbs it on the cross, and he conquers that brokenness. So there's this, there's this story of, of everything centering around Jesus, putting things back together. Some of the people who first started to follow Jesus, who first started to understand what God was doing in the world through Jesus, said this about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. And they would use this as, as almost this, this kind of poetry trying to describe who this Jesus figure was in this story of creation, in this story that... Of, of, God's, of God's world, they would say this, Jesus was the son of the, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in him everything might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. There's this understanding that these things that have been broken are getting reconciled through Jesus. There was this anticipation, what we find throughout the New Testament, these, these ideas, if we go to the next slide, in Colossians, that Jesus is reconciling all things. All these things that have been broken, that were a part of paradise, that were part of the story being reconciled. Jesus actually says that he's here to renew all things. And in Acts, it talks about the restoring of all things, these things that have been broken in the paradise story. This world is heading somewhere that God hasn't given up on it and that he's actively working to put it all back together through Jesus. This is a good thing when we think about the relationships that were broken in the creation story, some of the consequences that come from it. When the relationship with us and God is broken, um, what we find is there's this, uh, there's this separation of humans from God. Because of our sin, there's broken relationships spiritually. So we're spiritually hunger for, hunger, we're hungry for things that we know this world can't fill us up with, that come from that separation, that spiritual relationship. We think of the consequences of a relationship breaking down with us and other people. Those consequences are broken families, broken relationships. Those consequences are divorce. The consequences of that relationship with me and uh, my neighbor, me and my brother being destroyed causes me to live in constant tension. There's jealousy, there's anger, there's rage. Um, When we think about the physical relationship that's been broken in this world, we have these terrible things like hunger in our world. We have homelessness, we have uh, disease, we have famine, consequences of this physical relationship that's been broken. And then we also have this emotional relationship that's been broken. What causes us to be broken emotionally? We have depression, we have shame, um, we have bitterness. We're not okay with who God created us to be. We're insecure. These are all consequences of those relationships that were broken in the paradise story. And what we find is that Jesus looks at all of these things that are broken, and he's starting to put them back together. He's starting to restore and to reconcile and to redeem these things that have been broken. And so what we find is that Jesus starts with us, the spiritual relationship, us and God, starts to get put back together. But it doesn't just stop there. He also starts to put back these relationships that we have with other people. So last week when we talked about forgiveness, we receive forgiveness from God, but it means that we forgive other people. Because part of the brokenness of paradise is that we're not okay with each other. And so when we are put back together spiritually, we also have this relationship with each other that starts to get reconciled and put back together. And having this understanding of what God does for us means that we must now offer that to other people. And then that relationship with who we are emotionally starts to get put back together. And so we're at peace 
uh, the New Testament would use this phrase, peace that passes understanding with who God has created us to be, gets put back together through Jesus. And then finally, this relationship we have with the creation is restored. So we were once called to work to cultivate the creation, and it was a good thing. God has given us these sacred callings, these sacred vocations uh, that are redeemed through Jesus. And what happens is when we focus on only one of those relationships, we miss kind of what's happening in this whole gospel story. The, the gospel is holistic in its nature. It's putting all of these broken relationships back together through Jesus. And there was this anticipation, there was this hope that what was happening on the cross, um, when Jesus looks at this thief and he hears the thief's confession and he hears the thief's um, hope that he would be with them, Jesus says, today you will be with me and paradise will be restored. What's happening in that story, in that conversation, is actually happening at a much larger, grander scale. What happens for the thief also is available to happen for me, for you, for everyone that's in this room. What happens in that story is much, much bigger, much more going on, that Jesus is actually has this huge rescue plan on earth. Um, today, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. My guess is that in your life right now, you're experiencing some sort of brokenness. You're experiencing some sort of strife. Maybe it's between you and God. Maybe you're mad at God. Maybe there's some sort of spiritual thing that's disconnected for you. God seems distant. Maybe you're angry at God. I believe that Jesus wants to repair that. Maybe your brokenness has to do with those who are close to you. Maybe it's relationships um, that have been destroyed that can never be put back together in your mind. I believe that Jesus brings healing for those things. Maybe for you the brokenness is internal. Uh, maybe there's some sort of addiction that you have. You're not okay with who you are, so you've got these different coping devices. Um, maybe it's a darkness, it's a depression that you deal with. You're not okay with who God has created you to be. Jesus wants to put that back together as well. He wants to restore that. Um, all of these relationships that were a part of the paradise story are getting put back together. What we find is that as we move through Scripture and... Uh, go from creation to the cross. Everything pivots as Jesus is on the cross. He's putting things back together. What we find is that then it doesn't stop there. But this idea of salvation, this idea of paradise, goes out from there. And the story ends in Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, what we find is that this paradise is restored. We look at these words. Um, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea, and I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And it says, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. There's the ending of this story. There's this idea of paradise. 
is restored. It talks about this idea of um, at the end of time when heaven comes. Heaven comes and it literally comes and hovers above the earth. And it says that God makes his dwelling with his people. And all of the things that have been broken in this creation story are restored. Paradise is restored. There's a, uh, an arc of scripture, this narrative that creation starts with people in right relationship with God and the end of the story, people in right relationship with God. So today as we talk about paradise, paradise is this place, this garden of Eden where there's shalom, where there's peace in our relationships with God, with others, with the world around us. Our hope today um, is through a meaningful encounter with Christ, you would start to live in that story, that you would know um, that God has not given up on this world, that he's actually redeeming it and restoring it, and that's happening through Jesus. I don't know if you've ever uh, taken time to consider what that means in your life, when you've thought about your spiritual relationship with God. My hope today is to give you this invitation um, to trust Jesus with your life, to make uh, that relationship right with God. Uh, We use different language for what that means. Sometimes we... We say there's this conversion experience. We call it being saved. We call it coming to Jesus. But it simply means this, that you say yes to Jesus. Um, You look at this thief that was on the cross. For him, it was this admission that I'm the one that deserves death, and this is the one that doesn't deserve death. There's this confession, and what we find is this relationship with Jesus starts. Maybe that relationship with Christ has never been in your life. And the invitation today is to say yes to Jesus. And it goes beyond that. What does that mean next? That relationship that you now have with other people. Maybe there's relationships in your life that are broken and need, need to be reconciled. Maybe today you need to come and say you need healing for those relationships. We believe that uh, through what Jesus did on the cross, healing that comes is offered not only for us and God, but for us and other people. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're just completely not okay with who God created you to be. There's deep insecurity. There's deep angst. There's deep depression. And you just need healing internally. We believe that the cross, God heals heals that internal relationship. Maybe you have no purpose in this life. And you need to know that God has created you for sacred vocation. Um, the band's going to come back up. Every week, we take communion. And as we take communion, we're reminded what Jesus did for us on the cross. There was this breaking open of his body. There was a pouring out of his blood. And from that death, the restoration of paradise starts to take place. So as we move to communion, you know, whatever it is in your life that you're carrying right now, Maybe you need to say yes for the first time. Maybe you need healing in your relationships. But let's take this time as we go to the bread, as we go to the juice, to reflect on what God did on the cross. That he looked across at this thief and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. That promise is made true for us as well. As we move to communion, let's be reminded of that. As we move to communion, um, let's know that what Jesus has done for us He's also challenged us to do for the world. So as I close uh, in prayer today, what we'd love to do is uh, pray with you. If any of you have something that you'd like to talk about when it comes to this relationship, if any of you need prayer for a deep hurt, 
Um, I'll be standing over here, and I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to just kind of spend some time reflecting on these words of Jesus um, when it comes to paradise, um, feel free to do that. If you're ready to move to communion, do that as well. Um, But let's pray, and then we'll uh, spend some time just worshiping. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for these words from the cross. Last week, your words were to God about forgiveness for us. This week, your words, we look at them as they're directed at another person. And you, you offer that person salvation, Lord, paradise, the thief on the cross. We know that you offer that to us as well. Lord, we find ourselves in this great story, this life that we live. We know that we live in a world that's broken, in need of repair. So we invite you in, Lord, to our life and to our soul. We just ask that you would start to repair things. Lord, we'd ask that we would start to experience paradise again, knowing that it's both here and now, and it's this future destination. Lord, I just ask that we would come to an understanding of that we are people who live east of Eden, but we were meant for Eden. We were meant for paradise, not for the brokenness the world has. So that we would use our lives, Lord, to join you in this work of the restoration of the world, the brokenness of the world. And those who are far from you, who are far from uh, paradise, Lord, would be invited into that story. Lord, we give you this time We just ask that you would stir our hearts, Lord, that you would draw us into you, that you'd bring healing to us. We love you so much, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.